in this day and age where data is getting created at breakneck speed you're always falling behind in your ability to keep up right so it's it's uh, you're you're dealing with the data fire hose both in terms of the volume but also the variety this week on technado we'll be talking with shaker from clairvoyant we've also got a lot of news to get to including dns flag day that i know you're as excited for as i am that's all coming up on technado starting right now Hello and welcome to Technado. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and joined today, as always, by Mr. Don Pizzette over there. But we also have Ronnie Wong. This is the first time that we've gotten Ronnie Wong into the, the eye of the Technado, if you will. Ronnie, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Peter. Uh, thank you. I, I thought you were avoiding me on purpose. So uh, it's it's great to be here. Well, just because you're on doesn't mean we weren't avoiding you on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I seem to be the only one that actually said yes today. So... Yeah, you heard the closest one. <laughs> no, yeah, I was right outside the door. <laughs> Don walked out. Yeah. And, oh, that's a mistake. Everyone knows by now. Oh, it's Thursday afternoon or whatever day. We, yeah. we stay away from Don's office. Well, we've got a big, uh, a big day today. We've got some great articles. Not a lot of security stuff, which is nice for once. Not a lot of people uh, were hacked this last week, or we don't know it yet. <laughs> or we've we've been desensitized and don't yeah. care anymore. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe more true. <laughs> yeah, that could be an issue as well. Uh, but we also have a great interview coming up uh, in a little bit with a company called Clairvoyant. So we'll get to that. But first, to the news. So our first article today. Uh, well, happy DNS Flag Day. Everybody. All right. Uh, preemptive. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's coming up here and uh, next week for us, uh, 1st of February. But uh, I guess the big question on my mind is, what is DNS Flag Day? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you had picked 10 people on the street a week ago and asked them that same question, you probably wouldn't have found a single person who could answer. And if you asked today, yeah. you'd probably get the same result. <laughs> if you asked in this room, I feel like you'd get, I don't know, 66% of people maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Roughly. Yeah, you know, DNS Flag Day, it's a it, it's a big deal for some people. For most people, it's it's absolutely nothing. It's not a, a big deal at all. Uh, and I think what you'll find is that most people are never even going to learn about this and it's right. going to come and go. But it is a, something to be aware of, especially if you're a sysadmin and you run your own DNS servers. There's some changes coming up to DNS. Now, um, we've been seeing just a a few little news articles pop up. I didn't actually have a news article to reference today. We actually just have the dnsflagday.net website uh, where they they do a completely inadequate job of explaining <laughs> what the problem is and just tell you really it's coming up. Uh, but they do have a nice little tool where you can check your domain to see if there's going to be a problem. Uh, what it boils down to is years and years ago, actually about decades ago now, uh, they wanted to be able to extend DNS's functionality but the DNS standard doesn't allow for that. So they created these little subheaders or extensions that they could put inside of a DNS query to be able to handle extra functionality. And these are things that power important stuff like DNSSEC and, and other technologies like that. You know, DNS wasn't designed to store encryption keys. Now, now it does, uh, or at least public keys. So that functionality was added onto DNS. Modern DNS servers like Bind and uh, Unbound and those guys They'll, they'll see those extensions, they'll use them, they'll work with them, and that's it. Older DNS servers are supposed to ignore those options. But there were some DNS servers that would basically, if they saw a request that contained one of those options in it, would just not respond at all, would assume it was a malformed request. And so on February 1st, they're making a big change, which is 
they're no longer going to support servers that don't respond at all. It's okay to use the options. It's okay to ignore the options. But if you don't respond at all, it's going to flag <laughs> your DNS server as not functioning and clients will move on to a next DNS server in line. So it'll count as a DNS failure. Uh, and that's kind of a big deal. If you support your DNS servers, you need to check and just make sure that you've, you know, that you've run an update in the last decade <laughs> and you'll be fine. It's, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty far back that you get this broken functionality. Well, they've got a fancy little tool here where you can test your domain. And, and I got to say, Don, I did. And I see minor problems detected. You know, I, I got kind of annoyed with it. Did yeah. you run Technado? Or, no, uh, I ran ITPro.tv. Yeah, I haven't run Technado yet, so uh -oh. I was just thinking about that one. Yeah. But yeah, we could run ITPro. Well, yeah. um, if you run through the tool, it it checks for these extensions, right? So the DNS server that's hosting this. Now, we, we use uh, Amazon Route 53 for our DNS, and so that's fine. Uh, so it runs a test, and it says minor problems detected. Well, the minor problems detected for us have absolutely nothing to do with Flag Day. Right? Or <laughs> DNS flag day. Uh, maybe they have to do a real flag day. But uh, <laughs> with us, the minor problem is that we don't have DNSSEC enabled for that domain. Right? And so they're saying you should really consider configuring DNSSEC, but the fact that it's not configured is not a, a big deal. So it's a minor problem, and that's actually a totally separate thing. But as far as uh, DNS flags, we're on Route 53. That stuff has always been up to date for the, uh, the extensions. And so we're in business there. But yeah, you can check your site. It's pretty pretty useful. Well, then I feel less bad. Technado.com has the same minor problems. Yeah, the interesting thing, that at least from when I was reading up a little bit about this, Don, is that I saw a few different blogs that were out there that pretty much it was like an alarming, you know, fact. Like, <laughs> like, hey, DNS Flag Day is coming. You know, are you prepared? Winter it, is coming. Yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was quite amazing, the different quotes that they had from Flag Day. And it did. If you read just surface, you know, the the first few paragraphs, you thought like, hey, your DNS server is going to shut down on February 1st is what, what you thought. So I kept reading, and then finally I said, Don, I said, let me let me ask you about this a little bit more. And he's like, oh, well, it could, but probably not going to happen. <laughs> let me let me give you one scenario where it might actually be an issue. And, and just for the record, I ran Microsoft.com. They've got minor problems oh, as well. well. So <laughs> it's, you know, big and small. Um, if you have a firewall, that's using DNS mask or a utility like that, that is intercepting DNS requests and proxying them, that type of a scenario there, your proxy is far more likely to choke on these extensions than a, a DNS server would. So the odds of your DNS server having a problem are pretty low. But if you've got something doing proxy DNS lookups, you might want to double check and just make sure it has support to handle that. Uh, everything I've checked has. I, I actually couldn't find a broken example to do a demonstration. I, I was going to do a demo video to put out there, but I couldn't. I actually couldn't create a broken <laughs> environment. So uh, fire yeah. up a new uh, a new site that just. Hosted somewhere. I'd have to fire up like a really old copy of DNS. I guess I've got like old OpenBSD disks around somewhere. I could... <laughs> so now you have to find a disk drive. Well, that's yeah, true. That's that's a, problem. a whole new problem. Can I tell you what confused me about, about Flag Day uh, as well, DNS Flag Day here? If you go back to the site uh, here, we've got at the very top, right next to the words DNS Flag Day, we've got six flags. <laughs> okay, those are for the translations. I get it now. Well, but if you're if you're not in one of those countries, you're obviously fine. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. And the, and the first one is is that the Czech Republic? Is it? It's uh, it goes to CS is the abbreviation they're using. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think that might be, but regardless, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the last one's Russian. I mean, they're 
they're the ones hoping you don't do this so you they can just get into your your server. Well, area. you know, it, let's say for a moment you don't do this, right? You're not actually opening yourself up to attack or anything. You're just you, your DNS server is going to get flagged as being down. So it's it's not really something somebody could take advantage of. I guess maybe there could be some cache poisoning. Hmm. Uh, there, there might be there there might be an attack vector there, but for most people, it, it's not it's not even something that can be an attacked. Well, it is confirmed that is the Czech Republic's flag. <laughs> uh, so bringing you all the hard hitting news. Good enough. Uh, I was right going to be up on TechNado. I was going to be up late tonight worrying yeah. about that. So that's the first one. I, for a second, I was like, is that Puerto Rico? <laughs> But then there's there's Spain over there, so no, okay. Are they alphabetized? No, because the U.S. is right in the middle. Maybe maybe the person who made this uh, is hmm. out there in in the Czech Republic. Who knows? Who knows? It was maintained by DNS violations. <laughs> uh, that's the name of their their organization. Good for them. All right. Well, uh, anyway, uh, I'll get you something next week uh, for DNS Flag Day because I, I didn't I didn't know I didn't know it was coming. So. Uh, presence will be here next week. Yeah, yeah. Put it on your calendar. <laughs> yeah. Our next article <laughs> is over on Slashdot, and this is more uh, one that hits home for me. Uh, Google proposes changes to Chromium browser that will break content blocking extensions, including various ad blockers. And and I love how they're doing this under the guise of uh, for for safety and for <laughs> and for speed, where we're talking about the. I don't know, are they the largest advertiser on the internet um, these days or the, or the one that makes the most money from advertising at least? And, uh, and this is going to help them out tremendously. You know, it's easy to be pessimistic on this and, and look at it as Google making some kind of power play, but there is actually some truth to this. We've reported a few times over the last few months, and Ronnie, I think you've mm-hmm. probably seen this, where um, a Google Chrome browser extension will get compromised somehow right. and start sending data back to a Chinese server or whatever. And it'll turn out that some regular person wrote an extension, and then a shady company comes in and buys that extension from them and then pumps malware into it, and it rolls out to people's computers. So that's an attack vector we've seen repeatedly over the last six months. And so Google is finally stepping in and saying, look, when you install an extension right now, it can have access to as much as you want. When you install uBlock Origin, for example, the very first thing it does is says, hey, am I allowed to have total access to everything you see? And, and we say yes, because it needs to see everything. So it can say, oh, that's an ad. Let me take that out. And that's an ad. Let me take that out. And let me put a white block in there instead of a big broken image icon and, and go like that. So that plugin, we put a lot of trust in the ad blocker that we run, right? The ad blocker technically sees everything. It can stop cookies, it can see cookies, which means it can copy the cookies, the session state and all that can be sent off to nefarious locations. Almost all of those plugins maintain a rule set that's stored on their own servers that could be changed overnight. If a malicious company or if a hacker gets in there, they could change those rules and, and do all sorts of crazy things. That's a lot of trust to put in some free application that you've downloaded from a random app store, you know? And, and so what Google's doing is saying, we got to take that away. We can't, people are just too willing to give that access away. And so they're switching to a new API-based system that says, instead of the web browser asking the extension and saying, hey, am I allowed to show this? Instead, the extension has to tell the web browser, hey, here's a list of stuff you're not allowed to access. And that way, the web browser doesn't have to share any information with the extension. There's no risk of that data getting out. Uh, And at the same time, it can operate a little faster, which I don't think most people care about because it's already pretty fast, right? But it does make it a lot more secure. 
Well, and to take off my my web user hat and put on my marketer hat now, it's a good thing from that perspective because a lot less people will be uh, able to opt out of ads that that you know we might show or <laughs> uh, or we're able to get more more tracking information on people that maybe were blocking uh, cookies and things before. So uh, remarketing ads and things will be. Uh, even yeah. more accurate. Well, and and there's a, a few reasons for that. Like, um, you, you use an ad blocker, right? Or no? Uh, I do. Yeah, I turn it off. <laughs> a on marketer sometimes. that uses an ad blocker. Which uh, which so one? I do you test use? it. I I, oh. I use it to see. Uh, what do I use? Uh, ad block. Ad block. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I use one that's called Ad Guard. What do you use, Ronnie? I use the UBlock. UBlock, UBlock Origin. UBlock Origin is probably the most popular. I right. don't remember why I switched to Ad Guard about a year ago, but I did. Um, We'll use um, uBlock as an example. So the APIs that Google is putting in place to replace what is already there, it kind of sucks. <laughs> it's not as complete. Uh, and the example that uh, I was reading about was that their API says all of the rules have to be embedded in the plugin. The plugins aren't allowed to reach out and get rules from their own server. And they've got to hand them off to the browser. So that's going to slow things down. They won't be able to react as quickly to new domains and things like that popping up. The other thing is they're limited to 30,000 rules. And that sounds like a lot, but uBlock Origin has over 90,000 rules in it right now. Right. So already its effectiveness is going to drop by two-thirds uh, you know, just overnight when this system comes into place. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the future, how they're able to overcome that and see if they can kind of keep up with it. In the meantime, browser extensions aren't the only way to filter your internet access. You know, There's still plenty of of DNS servers that do filtering. You can override your host file. There's uh, VPN services that allow you to basically filter the network connection instead of filtering a single application. All of those will still work just fine. This is just what's embedded inside of Google Chrome. And I will say, in my defense as a marketer, <laughs> I only installed that for this podcast so that when I do show my screen mm. on here, it's not just full of ads. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I have disabled it in a lot of sites just because of the guilt trip. Like, you'll get, <laughs> like, they'll show you, like, pictures of starving journalists and say, you know, these guys aren't making any money when you're, you're blocking our ads for our free content. And, and I get that. That's true. So. Yeah. On this story as well, I've looked up a couple of different articles, not for, for the show, but earlier this week. As I was reading about it, some of them were saying, hey, it, it, it's not that, that it's not good, but they said, how is it that Google's picking which ad blockers to actually kind of, you know, run this again, you know? So, like, I think uBlock Origin, for one reason or another, is, like, uh, the biggest, you know, partner with Google. And so their stuff is not getting – they're essentially allowing uBlock Origin to kind of do what they want to do, at least from what I'm reading. But – other ones, they're saying, well, no, you're, you're going to follow this rule. So it looks like that there's two sets of rules there for uh, for different ones that are out there. Yeah, and that that's not unheard of. Yeah. Um, you know, we had something like this happen in Android a while back where Google said applications are no longer allowed to use accessibility services unless it's to actually help somebody who's disabled. And there were all these password managers that were using accessibility services to type in passwords. And so then Google made some exceptions. Like, oh, it was okay for LastPass to do it. And uh, uh, keep was it KeyPass or 1Password, one of the other ones. Uh, and then that was it. They didn't improve all the other <laughs> password managers, just those couple. Uh, and they've had to backtrack on that a bit. So it's not unheard of for right. Google to have a double standard on stuff. Yeah, it's just kind of an interesting take. You know, when, when you start reading about this, is e people easily get frustrated uh, when they see that and like, well, you're not blocking this one, but you're blocking mm -hmm. the one that I love, you know, to use because it's been so effective. Yeah. So it, it looks like that they're almost driving business towards the other one that, you know, that they don't want to use. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's it's only a proposal at this point, right? It, it, or is it? Oh, going I thought they were rolling it out in uh, one it, of the canary the, builds. The, okay. Yeah. Because um, it, I mean, the headline is Google proposes changes to Chromium browser. Um, yeah, so it is at the proposal stage. Yeah, it'll it'll come into the into the uh, they have they call it the canary builds. That's okay. where they test new stuff. So it'll come into that first. It, this type of change, even if they greenlight it right now, would probably be six months out. But I know another area where people are concerned is that Chromium is the basis for Google Chrome, but it's also the basis for Microsoft Edge now. Mm-hmm. And so this is a change that would affect multiple browsers, not just Chrome. Yeah. All right, well, let's uh, shift gears now to another story that uh, I understand as much as DNS Flag Day, uh, until Don <laughs> explains it. Uh, this one's over on Tom's Hardware. PCIe 5.0 is ready for prime time, and boy, that I'm, I'm excited. It's, <laughs> it's ready. So let's install it. Or yeah, <laughs> so, go, go to it. All right, so most people don't upgrade their computers anymore as far as like components inside of it. Uh, video cards are kind of the exception for that. And you know people still want to have the best video card they can. And, and if you're a hardcore gamer or whatever, you're probably getting a new video card once a year or every other year at least, more, more often than upgrading a computer. And the PCIe slot that those cards plug into is kind of the bottleneck. It's only got so much bandwidth on it, uh, especially if you're doing higher order things like SLI or interleaved video cards and all that other good stuff. So the newest version of PCIe or PCI Express uh, is basically standardized now. And what they're saying is that the new standard, it doubles the throughput for PCIe 4.0, yielding a data rate of 32 giga... Uh, what, are, what are GTs? Giga... I don't know. On that, that was just yeah, terabit, yeah. yeah, something. <laughs> a grand G- touring. T- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> G- That's the first time I've seen that one. So, um, well, the, the chart down here, if we pull up the chart, this one's in gigabytes, which we all understand. Oh, yeah, that's so, uh, you know, our bandwidth in gigabytes per second, and they're kind of showing the timeline here. This is why I picked the article from Tom's Hardware, because a lot of people are reporting on this, but they had this cool chart. Uh, it just shows over the years, right, when PCI was first created, PCI interfaces, Uh, It was operating at 0.13 gigabytes per second, or 130 megs per second. And then it slowly increased, usually doubling as it goes along. And then all of a sudden, we're seeing this huge increase now as we jump up uh, to these higher, higher numbers uh, to what we've got with PCI Express, or PCIe 5.0, now operating at 128 gigabytes per second. That's a lot of data moving pretty fast. Now, I watched every episode of the IT Fundamentals course uh, <laughs> that the two of you uh, participated in. Did, did we cover PCIe and I just m- missed that show? We should have, yeah. That would have been in uh, the PC components. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, th- that was hour 30. I, I, uh, I forgot about that. It's, I mean, it is the standard interface for adapter cards these days. Uh, you know, you used to have ISA and um, what were some of the other ones? Uh, AGP, is that the video card AGP ports? for the video, uh, yep. Which really were PCI ports, right? Mm-hmm. They were just Accelerated. special. Yeah. yeah. So, so, the, um, so the E is Express, you said? Yes. Express. Okay. Yep. Which is, is fast. But wh- why, is, <laughs> why is it not capitalized? It was to distinguish it from the regular PCI. Yeah. Why, why is anything? Yeah. <laughs> so many questions. We'll get to the bottom of next week. You're just week. lucky it's not an emoji, you that's know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's coming up, probably. PCI poop? What is, <laughs> what is this about? All, All right. right. Well, if you're doing a build-out on a new computer, if you're wanting to fire up some of those brand-new, shiny NVIDIA 2060 cards that cost 1000 yeah. bucks, well, they're still not PCIe <laughs> 5.0 compliant, so you want to hold off. But next year, this will probably be a bigger deal if you're doing build-outs. 
uh, you can get some real performance out of it. And you'll probably want a hard drive on that computer you're building out. More than which likely. Which brings us to our next story over on Backblaze. Uh, Backblaze.com. Uh, the Backblaze hard drive stats for 2018. And I'm sorry, I just like saying Backblaze again and again. So It's kind of a cool name. It's huh? a fun name. You know, it's, uh, it's like an American Gladiator name. Like Right now it's... Uh, Oh, the Destroyer versus uh, Beck Blaze. Yeah. Well, there, uh, there was an American Gladiator named Blaze, I what? believe. So that's oh. where you're, you're right. probably maybe that's the that's yeah. reminding you of something from <laughs> yeah. your childhood. It makes me think of barbecue. I don't know why. Mm. Back Blaze. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. back ribs. Maybe yeah, back something ribs. like that. Yeah. Well, I it's know, not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had a big green egg smoker. Oh, you and, oh, I had one. I oh. gave it to Nate. But uh, uh, I opened the lid too fast once. I got a back oh, draft oh, and uh, lost my left flamed. eyebrow for a week. Yeah. <laughs> <Got flamed. laughs> so does that count? I didn't realize you could do that. That's a front sure. blaze. Yeah. Front blaze. All right, so so what's going on with this? We've got uh, uh, 2018 annualized hard drive failure rates. So this right, is so by manufacturer? Backblaze. They are a backup company, right? So they offer unlimited backup storage for an insanely low price. Uh, I'm not trying to market for them. I actually have no clue how their business model works because <laughs> it's like 10 bucks a month, and you can put terabytes of data in their system. I, they should be out of business. I don't understand how they stay around. Uh, but they, they provide great service, and if you want backups, you know they're, they're wonderful about it. Well, because of the sheer amount of data they store, they have better insight to how hard drives perform than anybody else. You know, when when Seagate comes and tells you, hey, our hard drives have a mean time between failure of three years. Can you believe Seagate when, when they're promoting their own drive, right? It, it behooves them to give you the, the best number possible. Yeah. Not well, according to this chart. Backblaze doesn't care, <laughs> yeah. right? They, they use hard drives from a number of vendors. So they take their, I mean, they have massive amounts of data. And they, uh, here it is, uh, with 100,000 plus hard drives. That's a lot of hard drives. And every year they do a report that puts together the statistics on what their failure rates were. And so you kind of get an idea of who's making the good stuff, who's making the bad stuff. And sometimes it's not so much a matter of who, it's a matter of uh, the densities, right? Like when a brand new high density drive comes out, it usually has a higher failure rate until it's had time to stabilize. And so as we look at this, you'll see some that kind of jump out. Uh, you know, Seagate is is certainly taking a hit, but Western Digital's in here as well. Uh, always keep an eye out. Like this very first hard drive here from HS, uh, HGST has a 1.58% failure rate. That's kind of bad compared to some of the other numbers, but notice they only had 50 of those drives. They didn't have a lot of those. Yeah, that's one failure And is what did that. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah that, uh, so that, that's pretty low versus some of these other ones like the Seagate ST4000s that they have over 23,000 of that's those amazing. drives, right? That's a lot. And to have a 2.13% failure rate, uh, 581 failures, that's, a, that's, that's pretty That's not sig- great, yeah. It's, it's statistically significant, mm-hmm. right? But it's not that great, right? Because that means 2,200 and, well, no, 22,500 22, or some yeah. odd drives didn't fail. Yeah, I, I was told <laughs> there would not be math on the technology. I know, I totally <laughs> screwed up the math part, but, portion of this. The, the question is, why do they have 23,000 of those drives if they fail at the at the highest percent? Well, actually, the Toshiba one at the bottom fails at the highest percent. Yeah, uh, and, and, and if you look percent. at that Toshiba one, look at the density. 14 terabytes, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So... 14 terabyte drives are fairly new. They've got a lot of platters in them. Until they get the platter count down, they'll be unstable like that. And a 3% failure rate, that's, uh, that, that is absolutely significant. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, and you've got and, and uh, Toshiba is also have has a zero percent earlier for the five terabyte one that they've got. So you've got uh, yeah. Uh, there's not one brand where you say that brand is horrible or that brand and is great. On that Toshiba, they only had 45 of those drives. That's so, true. So you know, pretty low count. Yeah. You can see which ones Backblaze either trust a lot or got a really good deal on. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a Black Friday yeah. sale on the Seagate model. Apparently, oh, and the next, the the next highest one. Oh yeah, the next they've got a, they've got 31,000 of a Seagate down at the bottom, and then 14,000 of another Seagate. So they're yeah. uh, they've got a lot of those. But uh, now, Ronnie, do you have a a brand you prefer? I like the Western Digital drives. All right, I, I I was I was thinking, starting to think that I was in my own little shop. Yeah. I, I've been a Western Digital fan for a long, long time. I I don't know if they still necessarily earn that trust. And, and with SSDs, I I pretty much am buying Samsung. Mm-hmm. Backblaze. I was the surprising thing about this. I really expected them to start reporting on SSDs. They're still doing everything on spinning disk, and that's because they're worried about quantity, not performance. And uh, you get higher quantities with those spinning disks right now. My favorite brand, not that you asked, is the one that they give away free at, at trade shows, uh, at booths. So. Yeah, so it uh, would be like Taichung. Uh, it's Eastern Digital. I don't know. Eastern Digital. <laughs> Southwestern Digital. Um, I think the capacity on those are a bit smaller, too. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> four gigs. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, four gigs. Uh, all right, let's... Uh, it's labeled four gigs, but when yeah. you really try to run it, it's like 64 you open it up, you're like, why would this file fit? The rest of the room's taken up by the rootkit. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, well, I'm on your network, so <laughs> good point. The joke's on you. All right, uh, let's go over to computerworld.com, uh, where we're we're seeing what Woody on Windows has to say this week. Uh, Microsoft starts its what? phased rollout of Windows 10 1809, now controlled by a next generation machine learning model. Um, so this is this is a rollout to the, to the public or yep. a, an beta? So we've reported on this one a couple of times because of the just absolutely botched rollout of the eighteen oh nine updates. Uh, back in October, Microsoft had the Ignite conference uh, or September, September October. Uh, yeah. It was around then. Yeah, whenever, yeah. whenever Ignite was, uh, they announced the the new Windows Server twenty nineteen and Windows ten update uh, that were the eighteen oh nine releases. Uh, they promptly pulled the downloads <laughs> offline because they were deleting files. Like when you would upgrade, it would erase your, I think it was the entire downloads folder or something yeah. like that. Um, and then they started having some problems where we would go into boot loops on systems that had uh, uh, Intel chipsets or, or whatever. So just numerous problems. Well, finally, this week, they've overcome all that, and now it's back for general availability. In fact, there's a rolling update going on right now. So if you've been totally ignoring this story, you'll likely be picking up the 1809 update over the course of the next week, and your machine will, will update. They had to put a whole, <laughs> this kills me to say, next-generation machine learning model, which just means they put a stupid script in there to see if you have stuff in your downloads folder. <laughs> and so they, they, they've kind of overcome this to be able to make sure it can install without wiping out your junk. And my, my favorite part of the uh, the article is the first line where they call it the September, October, November, December 2018 update. <laughs> That's happening in 2019. It's now in January, yeah. He didn't know how to get the January 2019 in there. But, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it, wasn't it originally called the October update, and, and now we're just like, well, let's yeah. go ahead by the number. I, I'm i kind of frustrated by their naming convention yeah. of this stuff, yeah. you know, because it was the creator's update and the... Uh, Redstone, or are they're all called Redstone now yeah. while they're in secret. I, I, they need to come up with a better name for these things. Um, would it kill them to just say like R2, R3, R4? At least we would understand. Yeah. Well, we'll, I'm sure, we'll be reporting next week on uh, the rollback. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and we'll see how this uh, continues to go for, for months and months to come. Um, all right, let's go over to the register now, biting the hand that feeds IT. The register.co.uk. Uh, Want to spin up Ubuntu VMs from Windows 10's command line, eh? We'll need to see a multipass. Is this written in Canada? <laughs> I know. The ca- the headline's a little bizarre. It's a, it's a UK site. Yeah, I, I but, guess so. You know, but, but they uh, invented the language. Yeah, so what's, so what's this all about now? <laughs> all right, so uh, we've talked about the Windows subsystem for Linux or WSL uh, a couple of times. I really like it. I use it on my computer at home all the time. Uh, so you can be running Windows, but you can launch a Linux command line and, and have access to all the GNU tools. It's a really, really fancy thing. Well, the thing about it is the deep, dark secret of WSL is that it doesn't actually run the Linux kernel. It's really just abstracting all of your commands into API calls that run on the Windows kernel underneath. So you're not even really running Linux. It's really just like the GNU toolset that you're running. Well, sometimes you really need Linux. Sometimes you actually need the Linux kernel running, which WSL won't do for you. So there's a new service out from as an extension of Ubuntu's partnership with Microsoft called MultiPass. And what MultiPass does is from the command line, you can quickly launch Ubuntu instances that are command line instances, and they're actually being backed by Hyper-V. So, you know, Hyper-V is included with Windows 10 now, uh, as well as Windows Server. It's been a Windows Server for a long time. Uh, and so it will spin up Ubuntu, Ubuntu instances in the background that you don't see and drop you into a command line and let you work. And now you're sitting on top of a real Linux kernel. It's actually a real deployment of Ubuntu. So any compatibility or inconsistency inconsistencies you might have had, like the ability to say inconsistency, um, anything like that with WSL wouldn't be present here in multi-pass. So that's a new thing, and it's another fruit of the the partnership between Microsoft and Canonical. And so to clarify, multi-pass is not what gets you to the front of the line on, on Space Mountain? No, no. Nor is this what gets you to the front of the line at the airport to okay. uh, you know go through the nudie scanners. <laughs> <laughs> you got I just that remember now, right? from that old movie, uh, Fifth Element, the multi-pass. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're right. Good old fifth element. Yeah. And there's nothing to do with the, that I either, know. I don't think, Yeah, in this case. But, but it might. that's why they named it that. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, if you are one of those people that needs to run something on Linux uh, and you're on a Windows machine, check out MultiPass. It is uh, experimental. Right now, it's part of that new update that has a really crazy release number, 14-something or another uh, which is totally not in this article. Uh, but down at the bottom, they've got the link here that Canonical is planning a public beta for Windows 10 to be released later in 2019. So it's coming soon. Keep an eye out for it. All right. Sounds good. Well, I mentioned at the top that we uh, we didn't have a lot on security this week, but there were a couple of things, of course. Uh, so let's go ahead and get to that. Uh, the first one over at uh, Naked Security by Sophos. Uh, change your password. VoIP provider leaves huge database exposed online. So... Uh, just the the latest people to give my password out here were with yeah. the VoIP provider? Well, so um, whenever I see a headline like this, the first thing I, I think is, oh, great, is this somebody we've used? And we've, we use VoIP providers. Actually, most of our stuff these days is on uh, Office 365's Cloud PBX. Uh, but before, we've used other providers, people like Bandwidth.com, and even uh, Asterisk. We set up our own uh, PBX for phone calls here at the office. Uh, but in the early days of IT Pro TV, and when I say the early days, I mean like the first couple of weeks this was even a company, um, we used a provider, or we we tested a provider called Voipo. And when I saw this breach and started reading it, sure enough, it turned out to be Voipo. Uh, we never actually placed a single business call over them, but we do or did have an account with them. And uh, uh, basically what happened here, this is another instance where they had a database that had tons of call data and text messages. Oh, jeez. 
and it was stored in a wide open location that you you know you wouldn't find it with a Google search, but it was discovered by web crawlers that pulled up in the Shodan search engine, oh, and yeah. that means all of the data inside of it was exposed, including user account information, phone numbers, phone call history text messages and the contents of the text messages too. Like all of that was in this database, massive database. And they did it themselves. You know, they just posted it in a way that was not secure and it got out. Yeah. So what, I mean, I don't even know what the takeaway is from that. So besides don't... If you use VoIPO, yeah. well, you yeah. need to, you know, uh, change your password, but also VoIPO is kind of known for being inexpensive. So you get what you pay for. You know, if you go with somebody like Ring Central, where it's really expensive, they actually take the time to make sure the data is secure and protected. Yeah, I guess one one takeaway would be if you do work work at Boipo um, to check out itpro.tv um, for our security <laughs> content, and uh, don't let that kind of thing happen again. That's wow, that's not great. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's uh, head over to uh, the flamingspork.com. <laughs> uh, the hard hitting news these is things? Uh, this one came from Don. <laughs> so I, most of these articles come from my various RSS feeds that I follow, and uh, one of them being yeah, the flaming one of them spork. Is the flaming spork. Uh, uh, all right, the CVE 2019-6260, uh, gaining control of BMC from the host processor, and I'm very happy to say that later on in this article they do uh, offer a better name than the CVE 2019-6260, <laughs> which is the pants down. Uh, which that's a that's a great name for a, a, an attack. <laughs> what, what is this? A mal malware? Is this no um, a, a vulnerability? It's, it's a it, well now it's it's been exploited, so it's a full blown exploit. Exploit. Okay, yep. so the pants down exploit. Uh, how do I make sure besides spenders uh, that I am covered against? <laughs> All this? right, so so this one targets the BMC, which is the baseboard management controller, uh, which is a big deal. So. Most servers, when you buy an, an HP or a Dell or even a, a Supermicro or something like that, will typically have a BMC on it that allows you to do the remote management. Uh, you know, uh, Compaq, Compaq and HP, they call theirs the Insight Lights Out or ILO boards. Dell calls theirs Drax or Dell Remote Access Cards. Supermicro does the IPMI, which is a little bit more of an open standard. But they all work the same way. They all have these controllers that allow you to see what's on the screen of the server remotely, power it off, power it on. You can even put virtual media in the drive. Imagine if an attacker could take over the BMC. At that point, it would be the equivalent of them sitting right in front of the server with full physical access. That's effectively what they would have, except they would be remote. So you wouldn't notice like, hey, why is that guy standing in my server room? You know, that, that piece would be missing. So this is really bad. And what you're supposed to do when you deploy a BMC like this is to have it in a out-of-band network, a network that's not reachable from the internet or whatever. But as we saw in the big, uh, uh, the big CenturyLink outage the other week, a lot of times those management networks aren't as isolated as they're supposed to be. And if an attacker can get in, that's a problem. The other thing is most people don't think about their BMCs. They deploy a server and they never update them. So the big moral of this story is... If you have ILO boards, Drax, IPMIs, make sure you're updating them. Firmware releases have already been pushed out to fix this. Uh, it's an easy fix. You don't even have to take your server offline in most cases uh, because it's the BMC that reboots, not the actual system. Uh, so definitely get these updates out there. Uh, Flaming Spork does a great job of running through how the exploit works and explains each of the various pieces in there. Uh, and they identify a couple of the affected systems so that you know what to look for 
There's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, it's a really good read that runs through it all. Uh, but this is a pretty big deal. You certainly need to protect your management network, and the BMC is a big part of that. So when you say it's like having you know direct access sitting in front of the, the computer, if if I happen to be at that computer and have, have a monitor on it, I, I would see the mouse moving in things? Or, yeah. Okay, yeah. so but it's like remote desktop. You would you would have to have a monitor on it, though. Sure, Most server rooms don't, don't yeah. do that. Yeah. But if you happen to be toggling through or you know looking at the different yeah. servers, you, you would physically see something. All right, well, that's definitely something to check out. I'm trying to figure out what city is in the uh, um, the header image there on, on the flaming spork. Uh, is that Paris? No. Oh, the bridge is so close together, it gives you a, a And on his contact page, he doesn't even have a city. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. Man, all right, well, if you know, that please write in to wherever you write into for the show. <laughs> Do we have an email address? Sure. Okay. Info at technado.com. Pretty certain we have that, don't we? <laughs> we definitely have interview at technado.com, because that's where I ask people to email us to, if they uh, want to do an interview for the oh, show. Would, Which, for the record, hey, if any of you guys want to do an interview on Technado, be sure how to How many emails email. have you gotten? We want to make sure the account's actually set up. Oh, no, that okay. one. That okay. one I know works, works. All right. because we, we actually use it. Angie and I use it. There you go. So email, email <laughs> that and just say... That's Boston, or whatever it is. That'd be great. Uh, all right, let's head over to uh, our final article, and the one that's going to make you uh, think a little bit. Uh, this is at theindependent.co.uk. China launches app encouraging users to identify and report deadbeat debtors. <laughs> uh, so I, I've looked into this a little bit, and basically you've got, uh, I think this, they said it's built into to Weibo, which is the big um, social network uh, in, in China. But basically it's letting you know if someone is around you that is considered a deadbeat debtor, so someone that, uh, that they believe uh, has the resources to, uh, to pay them back and just has not, uh, and it is basically encouraging you to keep an eye out for that person and see, hey, are they getting into a fancy car? Are they coming out of a, uh, a nice store and, and looking like they can afford uh, to pay back? And let's snap some photos and, and send it in, I guess. And Yeah, it, it has a whole system in there where you friends. can report the person. <clears throat> and, you know, we, we see stuff like this in the U.S. where you have people doing insurance fraud, right? They say they were injured at work and they can't walk, but mm -hmm. then they're jogging around their neighborhood. Well, here it's debt. And uh, it's interesting because when I first saw this, I just assumed some company had made it, you know, somebody like uh, Cambridge <laughs> Analytica or somebody like that. Uh, but then when you read, this actually came from where is it? The, the higher people's court, court. like the actual court system released this. Uh, so you can spot broke people near you. <laughs> Within 500 meters. I mean, that's Pretty, it's a good, pretty distance. good distance, yeah. Yeah, I wonder what information it gives you. You know, like a, if it shows you a picture of the person or something. Because if you know you're at the mall and it's oh, I've got ten uh, deadbeat debtors around. How do how do I identify them? I, I hope this yeah, is something you keep we can walking get here. towards them. It looks like a little radar screen. I there. guess so. Yeah, there's a nice little little radar screen that you can use. But everyone in those pictures <laughs> looks the same to me. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully, there's <laughs> you some are more so racially insensitive. I don't think I am in this, in this case. Well, I am, but not because of that. Let's, let's say that. For those of you who are listening and not watching, the pictures are all literally they are identical. All the same. Yeah. <laughs> they are just little uh, um, but em in, emoticons. In Ronnie's so. defense, though, like if you look, these, these are streets in here. Yeah. It's pixelating when I zoom in too much. So if you had two people in the same block, they would overlap. Uh, yeah, how would you identify them? But it is an interesting concept. Wait, if they know where they are. Couldn't they just go Why don't and they get them? Just go and go, hey, uh, you know you owe us some money. Well, 
I guess maybe the maybe the primary purpose of this is to report them doing something they're not supposed to do. So, oh, so, so maybe we already know they exist. They've said they're going to try to pay back when they can, but now we see that. But they're, they're obviously them. eating at a four-star yeah. right. restaurant or well, something. Well, they're at Starbucks, and they're buying a coffee for Six five bucks or yeah, whatever yeah. it is. I was trying to localize the currency, but I actually don't know what the currency in China is. It's yen in Japan, right? Not in China. Uh, sure. Yeah, all right, well. Shows how culturally uh, <laughs> yeah. What were you saying we about are. me, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I'm culturally insensitive. Well, um, yeah, it, sounds, it looks like debt is a big problem in that area, and uh, so it was people just deciding not to pay it back. So, if we did that for um, for college debt and student loans in America, your your phone would just blow up. Yeah, this right here would be a court case in yeah. a heartbeat in the United oh, yeah. States. This, yeah, this is what this would be taken down immediately, but it's still <laughs> it's still fun. Now I, I feel like planning a trip and uh, just to get to play with this app. Well, it would make me stay at home. I would go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder if it's still. It's like, yeah, he lives next door to me. <laughs> now you're just knocking on the door, right? Well, I mean, they, How big they have TV? to actually. <laughs> I mean, they have to have some type of tracking system on the deadbeat debtor. Well, they're deadbeats, but apparently they can still afford a, a cell, cell phone, phone, would be my guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a basic human right at this point, isn't it? And it's got to be the, the iPhone 10. Of course. Basic human rights. Got to get it around that embargo. Come on. All right. Well, uh, we've got a great interview um, here that uh, that uh, just Don and I were, were on. I'm sorry about that, Ronnie. We it's all right. didn't invite you um, to that. But it's, uh, it's with uh, Shaker over at Clairvoyant, and they're a data security um, company, uh, Don, can you give us a little background going into this in terms of uh, what it is Clairvoyant does? You know, I, I'm almost going to sound sarcastic when I say this, but they use uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence to do uh, advanced threat detection. And, <laughs> and uh, I know it sounds funny, but I can guarantee you we will hear all of those words. Uh, but basically, they give you insight into your network and help locate threats. they got a really neat system, so it would be cool to talk to them. Yeah, and we've talked and talked about coming up with the buzzword bingo and uh, and really missed the boat on not doing it before this interview, yeah. unfortunately. But uh, I think we would endanger people's lives <laughs> through alcoholism yeah. if we did the buzzword well, it bingo. It doesn't have to be a, a drinking game, necessarily. Don. Oh, it does. <laughs> not all of us have to drink to have fun. Uh, but let's go ahead and shift gears now. Take a look at that interview uh, right after this here on TechNATO. I'm James Packer. I'm the general manager of Kirk ISS based in the Cayman Islands. I used IT Pro TV extensively in my last place. It grew very well, helped upskill the team. I had 110 engineers in the field and we had dozens of IT Pro accounts with the guys training. And last year alone, they passed over 40 certs by using the online training. I think I can safely say um, without IT Pro TV, I wouldn't be where I was today because I only got this job on the back of the qualifications I have. All right, welcome back to TechNATO, and we're joined now by Shaker from Clairvoyant, all the way from Arizona. Shaker, how are you doing today? Good, good. Nice to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you here and uh, want to learn a little bit more. So those of us that maybe haven't heard about Clairvoyant, uh, I know you're an IT consulting company, but uh, that can mean a lot of things. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what Clairvoyant <laughs> yeah. does. Yeah, so we are a data uh, uh, analytics and uh, consulting company. Uh, we help our customers uh, essentially realize value uh, from their data assets. And uh, 
uh, right from uh, help help them along their journey of uh, realizing this value. Uh, most people, uh, you know, associate uh, uh, data-driven problems, data-driven solutions with just uh, the last mile, what uh, what we call the last mile uh, uh, engineering or the last mile problems, which is mostly around uh, uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence uh, built on built to deliver these things. Uh, we help our customers along the entire journey of uh, data acquisition, building out a data strategy, implementing these data management platforms, and then towards the end also help them with uh, uh, building predictive analytics solutions using machine learning and AI uh, on top of that. So we are slightly different from a bunch of other companies in the sense that we provide that end-to-end -end, uh, support uh, as opposed to just the last mile stuff. Are there um, specific uh, industries you work with or sizes of companies? Like who, who's kind of your uh, your ideal client? So uh, we've uh, we we're more horizontal focused, uh, so, uh, at least when we started off. But over the last couple of years, we've been gravitating towards uh, more uh, healthcare and uh, financial services, and with uh, some of our clients who are uh, in the education and uh, higher ed and uh, uh, retail space. Uh, mostly uh, large to mid to large enterprises, uh, but we also work with uh, uh, a couple of startups uh, who have some deep technology uh, and uh, data related problems. So, so you're the CTO there. So, what what is your yes, day to day? Um, you know, where are you fitting in? Are you working directly with clients, or kind of helping uh, helping with your team internally? Uh, we had a couple of hats. Uh, a lot of time definitely uh, spent on working with clients, uh, uh, both in the initial phases of uh, some of these uh, engagements in terms of uh, uh, help define uh, and uh, uh, kick these things off, uh, see them through uh, implementation, uh, make sure that actually stuff lands in production, it works, uh, delivers the value that we promised, but also uh, at the same time internally uh, working with the team on uh, uh, make, driving these technology choices, driving these uh, uh, both for current engagements, but also for uh, the future, what should we be looking forward to invest in so that we can uh, stay ahead of the game. Now, I know I'm always fascinated to learn about the the type of work that people are doing because IT is such a big career field and there's so many different mm -hmm. things. But uh, your company in particular, uh, you mentioned really three of the big industry buzzwords right now, uh, which is machine learning, artificial intelligence, big data. I mean, you know, it's mm -hmm. like a, a press release gone wild. So <laughs> some some of it uh, is really well-defined. Like we, we know what big data is. You, you mentioned hospitals. They have tons and tons of data, and they've got to be able to sift through that. But when we get into machine learning and artificial intelligence, that starts to become a little more vague. A lot of companies define that a mm -hmm. different way. So uh, for you guys, what – what a, is an example of like a machine learning project or, or the types of, of machine learning that you work with? Kind of how, how do you guys define that? Great question. I think uh, uh, everybody could definitely use a, uh, a lot of clarification there. So uh, without going into too much of the hype associated with AI, but uh, the key the key aspects. Uh, I think the transition that we are going through, especially as more and more of the uh, uh, the business process uh, and uh, uh, automation implementation, digitization of uh, everything has happened within enterprises over the last 
uh, decade and a half or more, uh, there's huge amounts of data that's starting to get generated and captured both on internal business processes, but also uh, uh, in customer interactions and uh, uh, other aspects of the customer journey that businesses typically in, uh, have. Uh, where we come into play is uh, essentially uh, in the transition where most uh, enterprises are still leveraging this data uh, to do very, uh, you know, like a, a reactive analytics, uh, being able to say, okay, explain what happened uh, as opposed to uh, getting into the stage where we can almost predict what happened. Uh, so while that sounds broad, but diving in a little bit more, it, it's the, uh, from a machine learning perspective, where we find ourselves uh, helping clients the most is on two levels. One, uh, the 80% of the work, which is all around the data management and making sure that uh, high quality data is staged and ready for usage, whether it's uh, for BI reporting, but then more importantly, translate that into a set of uh, uh, processes and uh, uh, implementations that can predict uh, uh, some event. So as an example, one of our very first products that we built uh, was all around uh, predicting risk of a student uh, 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 falling out of class, right? Or not uh, passing uh, uh, the class with a successful grade. So we used a lot of signals both from uh, uh, their uh, uh, their uh, at social attributes, the the posts that they are making on in their classroom and coursework, and also uh, some of their homework assignments, uh, did sentiment analysis on some of these things, and essentially came up with a risk score that predicted uh, I, whether a student was on track to finish the course and hence you know uh, uh, pass or if they're at risk of dropout because they're not as engaged or they are they're showing signs of uh, struggling, uh, they're not able to keep up with work, uh, especially uh, along the way of, uh, as class sizes increases, this was a huge problem for a lot of our customers. So that's an example. Uh, another example is, uh, we, we, met, we talked about healthcare, we're working with a couple of uh, 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 of our potential clients, uh, of our clients on specifically making predictions on when a patient would be readmitted to a uh, hospital, right? So uh, if you've gone through some treatment and, uh, uh, but if you are not following up in terms of taking preventive care, uh, what what is the risk score associated with the patient showing up uh, back into the uh, at the provider within 30 days of uh, being discharged? So uh, various ends of the spectrum, but uh, essentially moving uh, our uh, clients from asking questions in a reactive fashion to more of a predictive fashion. You know, a few months ago, we did an interview with a company called Gravwell, and they mm -hmm. they actually make a, a big data product that lets you take large amounts of data and sift through it. Uh, the mm -hmm. way their solution worked was if they went to a hospital or somewhere, they could take the hospital's data, put it in their system, and then answer all sorts of questions. For you guys, is that is that kind of how you work as well, or are you actually able to work with the data in the client's systems already? So, for example, let's say they've got a, a massive Oracle database that has all that information. Do you work in their environment or do you bring the data into something else? 
Yeah, so uh, we we pretty much, uh, especially for regulated industries where data privacy is a huge concern, uh, uh, we more often than not find uh, ourselves uh, uh, working within the uh, you know the firewall of the client themselves because uh, moving data out of that ecosystem uh, can be a big no. Uh, so uh, while while we have a set of repeatable processes, approaches, uh, uh, and uh, patterns, but they pretty much do get uh, implemented within the client's environment. So we don't have to move any of their data assets out of their uh, ecosystem. Yeah, that, that's a really valuable thing. And you hit it right on the head talking about regulation, because you know, we always mm -hmm. have to worry about that with data privacy. Uh, yep. Now, having to work with data in place at a client like that can actually be really challenging. So uh, let me, I'll put you on the spot here. What is... What is like your dream come true when 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 you connect with a, a new client and they come in and they say hey, we've got all this data and it just happens to be stored in whatever format like what is the the easiest format for you guys to manipulate? Uh, so uh, I think there's two aspects to that. There's definitely the format piece, which is you know how uh, uh, is it stored in a relational store or uh, is it stored in like a uh, data lake or uh, big data ecosystem like Hadoop. Uh, and I'll, I'll shed a little bit more light on that, but there's also this other piece of, is it all in one place? Uh, you know, the, the, the bigger hurdle uh, that we run into almost on a daily basis is uh, a lot of our customers, and you know, this is true of most enterprises, they're still, they're still only so far along the journey of getting all of their data in one place so that they can actually then power uh, decisions not just based off of what one system is capturing, but uh, uh, across an entire uh, customer 360 or across an entire customer's life cycle. Uh, one of the key things that we found uh, as we were implementing uh, uh, some of these use cases was, in one example, uh, proximity to a pharmacy was a big indicator of uh, uh, you know, whether or not you adhered to your medication. Right. So uh, now that typically is mostly public data, right? So you have to bring uh, a lot of public data, get locations of pharmacy based off of zip code, uh, do some munging and get that in. But more often than not, we don't find a place where we can store it and combine it with the rest of the enterprise data. So, uh, so while I would love such that uh, most people have a data lake or an equivalent system uh, already in place, but the bigger thing which takes longer uh, lead time or effort is centralizing all that data in one place for consumption. Well, you know, I'm kind of surprised that you mentioned that most places already have a data lake in place because that, I, when I look at hospitals, I, I don't think cutting edge no. data storage. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I think a lot of people are still very early in that journey. It's not a, it's not the case yet. There's more and more data warehouses that we keep running into, uh, but that it's still a fraction of the data asset that they have internally. Uh, but as as you span industries, uh, it's. Uh, Five years ago, six years ago, when we started, this was more of a rarity. But now, at least, folks have some uh, efforts or projects in uh, in place to make this happen. Still early days, but yeah. What's the uh, what's the worst case scenario? Like the data is still stored on paper. <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Uh, 
Well, so that is that is definitely uh, a fairly uh, uh, interesting situation to walk into. Uh, although we've, you'll be surprised, we did deal with that in a couple of instances. So uh, it, it's it wasn't paper per se, but a lot of like scanned uh, documents, right? Uh, so, uh, but a lot of it handwritten, uh, some tabular structured printout stuff. So we uh, we had to go through the process of. Uh, uh, using OCR and computer vision uh, approaches, uh, essentially extract all the text and extract a lot of the structured data out of these files and then translate it into a database and then make it work. So there's ways around that, but of course that is, uh, it does take much longer. So HIPAA is obviously something we've been dealing with for, for years and years. Um, GDPR is something I see on your, your website as well. Has that uh, changed your business in the last uh, year or two in, in terms of getting ready for that and, uh, and the challenges now that that's out there? Yeah, great question. So uh, we've, uh, independent of uh, some of the regulatory frameworks that are being launched, uh, that have been announced and rolled out over the last couple of years, uh, GDPR being one of them, uh, the California Data Privacy uh, Act being one of them, uh, even before these became more formal, uh, uh, as we as we worked with a lot of the data uh, that our clients have, one of the things that became fairly obvious to us, uh, this was a couple of, two, two, two and a half years ago, was uh, as difficult as uh, uh, enterprises find it to manage their data uh, from a storage perspective. The, uh, the real other problem that they also have, uh, which is even uh, more dangerous in some uh, situations is, uh, they they just don't have uh, a systemic way of knowing what data is where, right? So uh, from a data catalog or governance perspective, uh, historically, most uh, companies have been doing this in a very manual fashion. Uh, so there'll be a couple of uh, teams, whether they're internal audit or architects will be responsible for uh, cataloging all this data. Uh, but at, in this day and age where data is getting created at breakneck speed, you're always falling behind in your ability to keep up, right? So it's it's uh, you're, you're dealing with the data fire hose, both in terms of the volume, but also the variety. So uh, when we realized that, uh, and we're talking with a couple of our customers, uh, we, we identified the need to uh, build this automated catalog. Do it. Do make this more of a uh, systemic process as opposed to a manual uh, documentation-driven process. So uh, that's where uh, uh, and a large part of GDPR uh, uh, mandates that you have this catalog. And uh, that's when we launched uh, one of our uh, recent products, uh, Cogni, uh, Cogni.io. So I encourage the uh, listeners to uh, go check it out. Uh, helps with uh, helps with the exact pro uh, from a exact problem of data privacy, governance, cataloging, managing sensitive data. So uh, uh, we've seen a huge awareness uh, uh, come about this. Uh, but uh, still, again, very early days in terms of uh, companies implementing uh, processes for uh, complying with these regulations. 
All right, we're, we're talking with Shaker uh, from Clairvoyant, and, and you uh, did a great segue there for me because I was going to ask you, I know we talked uh, ahead of the interview about kind of the setup, and you've got Clairvoyant, you guys do the consulting, and then you have some products separately. And I wasn't sure a moment ago if we were talking about the things that the products do or the things that, that Clairvoyant does. So help us kind of understand that and, and, and tell us about, uh, about this new product, uh, Cognate, it's out. Great. Uh, yeah, sure thing. Uh, so uh, uh, pretty much when we started the company, our vision was uh, enabling, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, help enabling enterprises get value out of data, right? So uh, we, uh, and since day one, we've, uh, we've been focused on building. Uh, so uh, while, uh, while we haven't gone down the route of uh, getting like you know, more traditional startups where you have a product concept, uh, uh, you're you're going down the route of VC funding. We were a self-bootstrap company, so uh, we we've been working on products uh, ever since. Now the way we are set up is uh, so we have uh, the four of us uh, co-founders. Uh, we manage various parts of uh, the company, uh, and along the way, as we learn of some problems that our customers are facing, as we see where the market is headed, we've always uh, uh, taken some time uh, to uh, look back and see how. Uh, in addition to our consultative uh, practices, how we can enable uh, both our company, uh, but also our enterprise, our customers to get value uh, uh, in a quicker fashion, uh, which translates into uh, solutions and products that can be uh, deployed and uh, 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 you know up and running within a matter of hours and days, as opposed to projects that take weeks and months. So uh, that's where our DNA has been since day one to uh, to take uh, take a look at problems in a product oriented fashion. And that's how uh, that's how we've been set up. Uh, so Cogni is the latest uh, 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 realization of that uh, that vision. So can you kind of walk us through a, a use case for Cogni, a, a problem that a company sure. might have, and and uh, how they could fit that in, and, and what it would be doing to help? Absolutely. So uh, we, the sweet spot is uh, any company that uh, is rich and flush with data assets uh, has. Uh, uh, data spread across, you know, multiple systems. Multi uh, uh, we see this uh, every day, where uh, data databases and data systems are uh, siloed in nature. Uh, there's legacy systems, uh, you know, RDBMSs, file stores, email servers, archives, to NoSQL databases, data lakes. Uh, uh, even even cloud-based uh, uh, data storage systems. So uh, an enterprise that has a rich variety of uh, both data assets and also uh, data management systems, and uh, also uh, deals with a lot of customer data, sensitive data, which is where the higher risk and regulatory framework uh, uh, comes into play. So uh, we help customers uh, essentially as a step one, uh, get a lay of the land. So once Cogni is deployed, uh, you're able to quickly catalog uh, your entire ecosystem and uh, we start displaying dashboards of what data exists where. So what used to take weeks and months of manual uh, uh, data collection before can now be done in a matter of hours. And then uh, after that, 
we then help them secure that data so that they can then uh, uh, protect it uh, in and uh, help prevent uh, uh, data breaches uh, or help prevent leakage of sensitive data. So that's that's essentially the sweet spot of what uh, uh, Cogni operates with. Now, I, so I understand the product, you know, it catalogs your data, which is, is largely stored in, in databases, but, but might be in flat files or something as well. Yeah. Um, so it catalogs what you know about, and then is it able to find data you, you don't know about? Like, uh, you know, yeah. if there's excess data stored in a, a file store somewhere? Absolutely. Yeah. So both on uh, file stores and uh, within the enterprise, but also uh, one new trend is uh, uh, the popularity of object stores in the cloud, like S3, uh, uh, blob storage, things like that. Uh, so what we've seen is it, it, these, these, these file stores, file shares, they make it so easy to uh, just store files and data. Uh, as an example, one of our customers uh, uh, didn't realize this, but they were storing uh, a lot of uh, ID, uh, a proof of ID, whether it's a driver's license or a, a passport uh, images uh, within one of these uh, uh, file stores. To most other systems, they're just binary files. They, you know, you can't make out one image from the other. But uh, we actually have a uh, uh, machine learning based uh, feature that we built into the product that's able to not just say that this is an image but also say what specific type of image it is so uh, so we we can introspect on a deeper level than just looking at structured data and and can that be customized based on the industry so for example i i, I used to work for a bank and and yeah, mm -hmm. we, we had things like social security numbers. We knew to scan for yep. those and identify that they follow a certain format. But we had certain mortgage documents and other things that were really just specific to our bank. So, you know, it's not some kind of standard format. Can it, can it be customized to identify things like that? Absolutely. Great question. Because uh, as much as we know uh, about, you know, what uh, uh, the key data, uh, especially sensitive data elements are, we quickly realized uh, uh, both from an IP perspective and uh, for various other reasons, uh, 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 other companies have uh, you know, confident, uh, confidential data that goes beyond just standard data sets or attributes. Uh, so what we added in was a mechanism to uh, essentially uh, train the system uh, with a few examples so that it can uh, identify unseen uh, uh, elements and then uh, uh, be be taught to uh, uh, tag them and catalog them wherever it sees it across the uh, ecosystem. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, is the uh, is the the customer going in and, and tagging the data that's sensitive, or is is Cogni actually scanning through and, and identifying sensitive information versus just other information? It's all automatic, uh, so you can you can uh, you can guide it along the way uh, to help uh, uh, make it better. But uh, it's 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 all automatic. It is scanning the ecosystem and then finding uh, uh, these data sets and cataloging them. Now, you're one of the co-founders of Clairvoyant, and and obviously, you know, big data, machine learning, these are all big spaces that are very active right now. But what? What made you guys want to get into this space? Do you have a background in this area, or did you just identify a need? What What was that story? A bit of both. Uh, so a couple of us, uh, when we were working with uh, over the last couple of years at a uh, uh, pre uh, at our previous employer, uh, we were in. We, that's when we first got exposed to. Uh, 
the power of data uh, in the uh, you know both a lot of us worked on uh, personalized uh, uh, learning uh, that's our background was higher education so how do we uh, tailor uh, content and uh, uh, recommend the right interventions, the right content uh, to a student at the right time and surface that up. Uh, we, we had to do that in a data-driven fashion, capture all kinds of stuff and surface these things up. Uh, uh, another thing that we closely worked with was uh, uh, at scale, being able to see uh, student behavior and then again identify some risk patterns of uh, 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 various, uh, uh, you know, negative events. So the, this is this is kind of what got us interested in the whole space, and we uh, quickly realized the amount of impact that uh, delivering uh, one of these use cases can have uh, for a uh, for a company, and that's what we wanted to replicate for uh, uh, other enterprises as we started Clairvoyant. Well, it's certainly impressive, and I know it's a need that a lot of companies have. Uh, you know, we, we were talking about the Cogni product, which people can learn more about at kogni.io, cogni.io, mm -hmm. uh, and then Clairvoyant is clairvoyantsoft.com. You guys are pretty yeah. active in the conference space also, though. You guys uh, got any conferences lined up for 2019? Yeah, so uh, in addition to the ones that we participate in, speak at, uh, so we do... Uh, we do two annual conferences, uh, one, uh, uh, the Phoenix Data Conference, uh, that's uh, usually in the fall of uh, uh, each year, so uh, end of October is when uh, uh, that's lined up for, uh, and uh, we also, uh, over the last three years, have been doing one out in our Pune office. Uh, uh, this is uh, uh, out in India, uh, we have an office there, and they have one coming up uh, uh, fairly quickly. So uh, those two, and then we'll be attending, you know, uh, and uh, uh, hymns, and we'll be uh, also speaking at or uh, uh, presenting and have a booth at uh, uh, Strata uh, this year. So that's where we can uh, talk more. Awesome. Well, I, uh, I think that's all the questions that I've got. Did you have any other topics you wanted to hit on before we wrapped up the interview? Uh, no, I think, I mean, as as we touched upon this, uh, one of the key aspects of along this journey, uh, something that we've realized, uh, uh, so the, the impact that data uh, uh, can have is immense, but the journey is not... Uh, uh, is not an easy one, right? Uh, so uh, one thing we can't emphasize enough as much as uh, the focus needs to be on how to how to uh, implement the uh, fancy machine learning algorithm and uh, other aspects of extracting insights, but can't emphasize enough as to how important it is to have a uh, proper structured data strategy from a data acquisition uh, and a, a data storage and management perspective. That's the one thing uh, we find everybody thinks about, uh, it's almost an afterthought, so just wanted to drive that point home. Well, thank you so much, uh, Shaker, for joining us, and uh, can you can you promise to let us know any new announcements uh, or, or new products coming out in the future? I know uh, Don and I kind of love to geek out on, on big data stuff, so we'd love to hear about it. Absolutely. We are, there's one in the works, which hopefully uh, in a couple of months we can talk about more and uh, maybe even uh, uh, do a sneak peek. So yeah, absolutely. Thanks for your time.
That would be great. Yeah, it'd be cool to look under the hood. Uh, so thank you so much for uh, for joining us. And to all of you watching, stay tuned. We've got more Technado coming up right after this. My name is Dana Morrison. I'm the IT director at Grace Christian School in Raleigh, North Carolina. IT directors often hoard so much knowledge that it's hard for their team members to learn. IT Pro TV has given us the ability to level up our technicians to a point where they can decide this is important for me to learn. I would recommend IT Pro TV uh, to any IT team. It's just a great tool uh, for any IT professional. All right, welcome back to Technado, and thank you to Shaker for joining us all the way from Phoenix, Arizona for that interview. That was uh, very insightful. We're super happy to have him on the show here. But before we let you go, we want to let you know about a couple of things coming up. Don, you have a big webinar coming up uh, next week. Yeah, right at the end of the month, Zach Hill from IT Career Questions and I are going to get up there and do the top five IT career questions. So if you're interested in moving to IT, We'll talk about some of the big questions that we get from a number of people that are out there. It'd be a lot of fun. Uh, and it's, you know, a, a joint webinar, which we haven't done before. So the odds of me screwing it up would be pretty high. So if you want to watch <laughs> that, that's another reason to tune in. Yeah, well, I mean, it's more the odds of a technical screw up now. We're bringing in someone remotely. So the pressure's on the, the guy that's on the other end of these earpieces. Yeah, yeah that's really, true. But we'll see. But if you want to register <laughs> for that one, uh, head over to itpro.tv slash webinars, and you can get registered. It's on Thursday, January 31st at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you can also, at that site, uh, check out all of our past on-demand webinars, and you can sign up retroactively and uh, be given a link to, uh, to the YouTube uh, private page there to be able to watch all the webinars we've done in the past on uh, everything from uh, phishing scams and uh, ITIL and AWS. Uh, so definitely check that out over at ITProTV slash webinars. Also want to let you know about an offer uh, from ITProTV. Uh, if you're interested in, uh, you know, finally following through on that New Year's resolution you made at the beginning of the year, uh, go ahead and head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado. Uh, we've got a seven-day free trial for you as well as a coupon code if you are looking to sign up uh, as an individual. You can also request a demo of IT Pro TV for your team uh, if you're working in a team and you've got special pricing and features uh, for those folks as well. So go.itpro.tv slash technado uh, for more information. Well, Thank you so much, Ronnie, for uh, joining us today and, and offering some uh, some insight there on the news this week. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me on the show, finally. We, we might invite it. you back. <laughs> Maybe. If, if you're still... Uh... Assuming the internet still works That's after right. DNS Flag Day. <laughs> That's true, oh. yeah. And and happy Flag Day, uh, DNS Flag Day, to everyone out there in the Czech Republic and, uh, <laughs> and the rest of the world. But thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next week right here on Technique.